You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. You're welcome. There we go. Good morning. That word redeemed is really probably uh, one of those words we really kind of run across often in scripture, either the word redeemed or redemption, but it's also a word that I think oftentimes we really don't fully understand or really appreciate the impact of what the scriptures are talking about there. Thankfully, we really have some just incredible examples of that concept, that word redemption, that we really kind of use every day in life and really may not realize how what we're doing in life really kind of has a spiritual, a biblical principle that really can help us to fully kind of understand and embrace that whole concept of redeemed or redemption. For example, how many of you have just ever bought a can of pop or maybe a case of pop? Yeah, we've all bought at least a can, a case of pop, and again, uh, one of the things they charge you for in addition to the soda is you end up having to pay a nickel per can, and we call that a deposit. And so you buy the pop, they charge you a nickel for the can, when you drink it, take it back to the store, what do you get back? A nickel, exactly. We call that process redemption. I redeemed my nickel by taking the empty can back. We have the North Iowa Redemption Center, which is probably what every church really should be called, uh, right here in Mason City. And what is their job? Their job is to redeem pop cans, bottles, etc., whatever it is you were charged for a deposit. Now let's say you give a nickel as a deposit on a pop can when you purchase it. You take it home, you drink the soda, return the can back, and let's say that they give you four cents. You paid five cents at the time you bought it, and when you return the can to get your deposit, you only get four cents back. Let's say that you go to a pawn shop, and you take in a 52-inch flat-screen TV and I don't, I don't even know what that would go for in a pawn shop, so I'll just throw out a number. They give you $500 for that. And they give you a certain amount of time that you come back. They'll give you a ticket. You come back in a certain amount of time. Give them the $500, whatever fees and the charges go with that. And, and let's say you do that. You go back a month later with the ticket, with your money, and you give them what they require. And instead of a 52-inch flat-screen TV, they give you one of those really little teeny tiny black and whites. It's a television. It isn't what you took in. So, but they give you kind of something that is totally different. Now, have you redeemed that pop can? If all you get back is four cents, you gave five, you only get four back. If you take a 52 flat screen TV in, all you get's a dinky black and white. Did you redeem the can, the TV? No, because for that to be fully redeemed, you have to get back exactly what you gave up. That's the whole concept of redemption. 
Anything less than five cents, anything less than what you took into the pawn shop, if you don't get that exactly back, you did not redeem it. It's not been redeemed because you have to get back exactly what you gave up for redemption to have occurred, for you to be redeemed, for you to redeem an item, you must have gotten back the full deposit you gave. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. When Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, okay, you gotta get this, He was completely restoring, fully returning everything the curse of the law cost and took from us. Let that sink in. That's redemption. Now, the same analogy holds true here, just as it did for the five-cent deposit on the pop can for the television. If parts of the curse of the law remain... If we've been shortchanged in any way, then we are not truly redeemed. Redemption has not occurred. In order for true redemption to have taken place, we must get back everything we lost, everything we forfeited, everything that was taken from us down to the very last cent down to the very last blessing and promise we lost through the curse of the law. Galatians 3.14 confirms that. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us in order that. Christ Jesus, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. If you're here this morning and you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile speaking to you and to the Jews as well so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Here's the thing, folks. If the curse of the law took away from us the blessings of Abraham, then our redemption through Christ Jesus fully restores and returns that blessing fully and intact. If sin took from us the blessing of healing, and we are left with sickness and disease, then the redemption of Jesus Christ fully restores healing to our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit. If sin took from us the blessing of peace and joy in our relationship with our heavenly Father and with one another, then the redemptive work of Christ upon the cross fully restores that. Paul says in Ephesians 1 7, he says, in him, referring to Christ, we have redemption through the blood. It's part of what we celebrated here this morning. There's your fourth R, Jim. Yeah. Not that you were looking for one, but just the forgiveness of our trespasses. Folks, if one trespass remains, One sin remains unforgiven or beyond the cleansing power of Christ's blood, then we have not been redeemed and the work of Christ upon the cross was not fully completed. For redemption to have taken place, 
all of our trespasses are done away with through the blood of Christ and we are fully, completely restored to a place of forgiveness. And it, it is a state of forgiveness that it's, it's like as if we have never sinned in the first place. It's so thorough. It's so complete. That forgiveness is so full. So everything that was taken from us and lost through sin, the fall of mankind was fully and completely restored and returned to us when Christ redeemed us. Every promise, every blessing of God that we forfeited through sin is fully, completely restored and returned to us. That is the concept of redemption. That's what it means to be redeemed. So every time you get that nickel back on that pop can, that is an act of redemption. And hopefully the next time you do that, you will remember that analogy and and how Christ has applied that same concept to you. How he has redeemed you from the curse of the law. How he has completely, fully restored and returned all that was lost. Now while that is good news, I got even better news for you this morning. Not only are you redeemed, but the Bible says you are chosen. This past week, as I was reading through the book of Ephesians chapter 1, I came across verse 3, and it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, it's already been done. It was done when Jesus Christ went to the cross, died in our place, and then victoriously overcame death and was resurrected. It was done then. Has blessed us with Every spiritual blessing, every means all. There's nothing left out of that. Again, one of the benefits of being redeemed, every spiritual blessing, promise, you lost or was taken from you through the fall of mankind, it has now been completely restored and fully returned. It's what he's saying here. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he, referring to God the Father, chose us, you and me, in him, referring to Christ Jesus, before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So not only have you been redeemed, but the Bible says you've also been chosen. Now that word chosen in the Greek is the word eklego, and it means to choose, to select, choose for oneself, not necessarily implying the rejection of what is not chosen, but giving favor, bestowing favor to the chosen subject. It implies keeping in view a relationship to be established between the one choosing, the one doing the choosing, and the one chosen. It involves preference and selection from among many choices. That's just, again, I'm just giving you a um, 
Greek dictionary definition of that word, eklego, which is the Greek word for chosen. So you've been chosen, selected by God. He chose you, you didn't choose him. He chose you from among all that he created. He could have chosen animals. He could have chosen angels. There's a lot of choices that God could have made in choosing. And as he looked at all of the choices before him, he chose you and I. He chose humanity. He chose mankind. You have been chosen by God. For what? For the purpose of God giving, manifesting, and displaying his favor upon you in choosing you again God is the initiator this was his idea his plan he is the one making the choice and in choosing you every one of you there's not a one of you I'm leaving out in that word you maybe I'll just do that southern thing you all if you're really southerner you say all y'all it's everyone God is the initiator. He is the one making the choice. And he chose you. And in choosing you, he is establishing. He is inviting. He is drawing. He is beckoning you into a relationship with him. It is all God's doing. It's his initiation. It was his idea. He took the first step. Now here to me is the awesome part, the choice God made in choosing you. Look at the timing of this. The timing of this is so incredible. Before the foundations of the earth. Now the implication of that is, is that long before Genesis 1-1, long before God created the heavens and the earth, Long before God ever spoke anything into existence, long before God said, let there be light and there was light, you were chosen. Now to me, that is amazing because what it says to me is before you were ever created, you were chosen. Before you were ever born, before your parents were ever born and the parents they had were ever born and the parents they had were ever born. You were chosen by God for the express purpose of him bestowing, manifesting his grace, his favor upon your life to invite, to draw, to beckon you and to bring you into a relationship, a living, intimate relationship with him. Now, the reason this is so important to me because it would be totally different. I would be preaching a whole different message if the book of Ephesians said you were chosen by God after you were born. And God, you know, counted your little fingers and your little toes, said, yep, they're all there, I choose you. That'd be totally different. It would be different if God said, I chose you after you died. 
or I chose you somewhere between birth and death. But that's not what it says. It says before the foundations of the earth, before anything was ever created, long before the foundations of the world were ever established, you were chosen by God to receive his favor and to be in relationship with him. God made this choice in choosing you long before a single day of your life ever played out. The reason this is so critical to understand is because some of you, you may be sitting here this morning and you're kind of wondering and maybe thinking, does God really love me? Does God really want a relationship with me? Does God really want to manifest and bestow his favor upon me? I can believe that about other people, but I just have a hard time with my past, the things I know that I've done. I just have a hard time believing that God would want that for me. And maybe you've done some terrible, horrific things in your life, and maybe you're just at that place in life where you kind of just feel like, you know, there was a time a couple of years ago when my life was much better, I was making better choices, better decisions. There was a time in life where I believe God would have chosen me, that God would have desired and wanted a relationship with me, but not now. Because of all the garbage, all the junk, all the mistakes and the failures in my life. Folks, that's the beauty of this scripture, this message. God didn't wait until some or all of the days of your life played out. He didn't throw all of your deeds. He's not going to throw all of your deeds, good or bad, on some heavenly cosmic scale of justice to see, do you deserve it? Have you earned it? Is there more good than bad? He chose you in Christ before you ever took one breath. Before you ever made one mistake, before you ever committed one act, whether good, bad, right, or wrong. And because God chose you before the foundations of the earth were ever laid, it tells me in the strongest terms possible that God couldn't make his declaration or his intentions any more clearly known to you when it comes to the question of, do you want a relationship with me, God? God wants you. God desires you, every one of you. Not because you're good enough, but because he created you. And before he ever created you, he already said a loud, emphatic, clear yes to a relationship with you. He didn't wait to see how your life was going to end and then make up his mind. God said, before you were ever born, I choose you among all of the other choices of creation. I choose you 
to have a relationship with you. God could not have been any more emphatic or clear than that. One of the things I love about the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 is that no matter what the prodigal son did, regardless of whatever choice he made in the story, the father who represents God never changes in his relationship with the son. Go back and read that story maybe today or this week. The father was generous to the son. Didn't hold anything back when he gave him his share of the estate. And the father was generous when the son returned after squandering it all on an immoral lifestyle. The father's generosity remained unchanged. The son goes from being a good son to a not so good son. Then he repents, comes back becomes a good son again, but the father remains the same throughout. Generous, loving, forgiving, watching, waiting, hoping for the return of his son. The father didn't reject the son when he made the choice to leave his father's estate and squander the inheritance and then accept him after the son came back and repented and ask his father to forgive him. This was his son who he loved. And nothing was going to change that. God chose you. God decided to pour out his favor upon you, upon your life, before you ever lived a single day of your life. And nothing will ever change that. You were created by a loving God for a loving relationship before the world was created. That's how sure, confident God was in his choosing us, his choice regarding you and I. I remember when I was young, I tried out for Little League Baseball. So one Saturday morning with a bunch of other really obnoxious and excited young boys, I showed up at the ball field, played catch with the other boys, And the coaches of all the various teams were there, and they would kind of just hit fly balls, they would hit ground balls, and they kind of wanted just to watch and to see how you fielded balls. They would put you up, uh, they would pitch the ball to you, uh, and see how well you batted. I was really slow at this, because I've watched some baseball, and so I'm kind of there at the pitcher's mound. I'll never forget this. And I'm standing there, and they threw the first pitch, and I missed no big surprise. So I'm waiting for the catcher to throw the ball back to the guy at the mound, and there were like two or three other balls that came whizzing by me. And I'm standing there. I didn't swing at anything after that because it was just kind of like, oh, I have no clue what they're doing. These things are coming faster than I could even think. They would kind of put you in the outfield and they would, you know, kind of, you know, hit balls. They wanted to see how well you could, you know, could you catch? Did did you understand enough of the fundamentals that if you caught the ball, you know, you could throw it to first base or you at least knew to throw it to first base? I got all of that. The end of the tryouts, the coaches would get together and based on how well you did, they would either draft you if your name came up or they would just pass on you. And you didn't make any team. I didn't make any team that year or any year after. I know, collective awe, one, two, three. Thank you, I feel the love. (laughs) 
The good news is God did not wait to see the batting average of your life. He didn't see how good or how bad you're going to be fielding these ground balls of life. He didn't wait, you know, to see whether you're going to kind of make the team, if you're good enough to be on his team. And when your name comes up, he'll kind of decide whether he wants to draft you as his son or his daughter. No, he made the choice to choose you. Fully and completely, not before you were born, but before the foundations of the world ever came in to existence. I mean, that is so far down on the project list when you think about the creation of the world and where you and I fell in that creation. We were so far down on the list. As a matter of fact, we were kind of the last part of God's creation. I don't know about you, but I get lists, projects, things that I've got to do, and I'm so focused on the things at the top of the list, I'm not even thinking of the stuff at the bottom of the list, but at the very bottom of the list where you and I were, God is already thinking and he already made a decision and a choice regarding us at the bottom of the list before he ever got to the stuff at the top of the list. I choose you in Christ to bestow my favor upon and to be in relationship with you. Again, God couldn't express. He can't make that any more clearly known in choosing you and wanting a relationship with you than to say yes to you before there was anything to say yes to and nothing will ever change that. First Timothy 2 beginning in verse 3 says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who's God our Savior? Jesus. Who desires, 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 desires all men, all men. Not some, not the good, not the noble, not the righteous, not the holy, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God's desire for every person in this place, in this world, is to be saved and that decision That desire is based upon his choosing you long before the world ever came into being. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, I chose you. Now why does Jesus say that? Because in choosing us and us not choosing him, it puts the emphasis and the desire for the relationship with us upon God. He's the initiator. He's the one who took the first step. And he initiated that before the foundations of the world. Remember, it is the one making the choice, not the one responding to the choice. It's the one making the choice that initiates and communicates their intent and desire to be in relationship with us. God choosing us and us not choosing him, it clearly demonstrates God's desire to be in relationship with us is stronger than our desire to be in relationship with him. In God choosing us before the foundations of the world, we are not asking him to be in relationship with us where he can say yes or no. 
He is asking, beckoning, drawing us into a relationship with him. And because he is the one who is doing the choosing, he has already said a very loud and clear yes to a relationship with us. And because God has said yes to us before the foundations of the world were ever laid, we now have this opportunity, this invitation to say yes or no to God's eternal, clear, emphatic yes. He's chosen you to pour his favor out upon your life and for you and I to be in a living, a dynamic, and abundant relationship with him to redeem you, to restore all the enemy has taken from you. And God's desire is to return every blessing to fulfill every promise the curse of the law stole there's an awesome prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 1 that I think is just I can't think of a better response to God than to what he has done in choosing us and in pouring his favor out upon us it begins in verse 18 and here's what Paul says I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. That is an intimate word there. That you may know, that you would experience, that you know, that you know, that you know. I'm going to let things settle down here before I continue. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Again, that is opened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? That is a powerful prayer. That is a prayer for the unsaved. It is a prayer that addresses those who are already saved. It is a comprehensive, inclusive prayer. Paul says in Galatians 2, Galatians, 2 Corinthians, ahead of myself here, 4 4, that it is the God of this world that has blinded the minds, the eyes, the heart of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this world, that's the devil. He wants to blind you. He wants to keep you from seeing the truth regarding God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. God wants to open your eyes, your heart to the truth of who he is, how much he loves you, how he has chosen you to be in relationship. He wants to show you, he wants to reveal to you all that he has done, all that he has accomplished, all that he has given to us, everything that he has made available to us through what Christ did upon the cross. God wants to open the eyes of your heart so that you may know what is the hope of his calling if you're here this morning and you do not know what the hope of his calling is, God wants to open your eyes that you would know what that hope is. 
1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's very own possession. God wants to own you. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had an identity as people or you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. That's the hope of his calling. He wants to open your eyes to the fact that once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Now's the time to take advantage of God's mercy. And he wants to open your eyes so that you might know what is the hope of that calling. That is your identity. That's who you are. That's how God sees you. And once he enlightens your heart with that truth, you will be more and more drawn to him and all that he has for you. And all you have to do is just say, God, open the eyes of my heart to the hope, the promise, the potential of your calling upon my life. He also wants to open the eyes of your heart to the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. God has deposited an inheritance in you. And I believe part of that inheritance includes the various spiritual gifts that God has placed within each one of us. God's given every one of you, whether you're born again or not, every, God has deposited in every one of you spiritual gifts that he wants you to use in serving one another and glorifying God. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the variety of spiritual gifts that has been given. Verse 7, it says there, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other, not help ourselves, not enrich ourselves, not bless ourselves, so that we can serve and enrich and bless others. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to speak wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. To the same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another the ability to interpret what is being said. A few verses later, Paul says, here are some of the parts of the church that God has appointed. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers. Then there are those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who can speak in unknown languages. God has equipped every one of you in this room with at least one, some of you more, of those gifts and abilities. And God's done that in order that you can serve one another and bring glory to God. He wants to open your eyes to the riches of his inheritance, his deposit in you, that you can respond and just begin to walk that out. Thirdly, God wants to open the eyes of your heart to what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward those of us who believe. Now this is kind of, Paul identifies, this is is for the believer. Last week, some of you kind of got born again got healed, and then got filled with the Holy Spirit and all just one beautiful, sweet little package. This is what he's saying here. This, 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 
coming, this indwelling, this power of the Holy Spirit. It's made available after you believe. And this would include attributes like the fruits of the Spirit as described in Galatians 5.22. I love this. But the Holy Spirit produces, not mankind, not your pastor, not your spouse, not your boss, not your job. It says the Holy Spirit is the one that produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're lacking any of those or all of those, The Holy Spirit, after you become born again, the Holy Spirit wants to begin to work in your heart, in your life. And what he's going to do is he's going to begin to produce this kind of fruit, this kind of manifestation in your lives. And we cannot have any of these characteristics or these attributes that Paul lists there manifesting in our lives apart from the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. So here's my invitation this morning. If you're here and you would like to have this prayer prayed over you this morning. All three parts, or maybe, you know, one of the three, if you've kind of got the other two going. We want to just invite you up. We're just going to pray over you this morning this prayer Paul prayed. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, opened, so that you may know intimately and deeply, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what is the hope of his calling You may not be a believer here this morning, but all of a sudden, you're kind of starting to get a glimpse of the hope of his calling. That's that invitation. That's that knock at the door Revelation talks about. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart this morning. He wants in. He wants that relationship. He's initiated it. All you got to do is just open the door, and, and, and the scripture says, and he will come in and dine with you, and you with he cool thing is you don't have to bring anything. Just open the door. He's got it all with him. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward those of us who believe? If that is the desire of your heart this morning, I'm going to invite Jason, the worship team, up here this morning. We're just going to pray that prayer over you. We've got anointing oil up here. I'm going to, if, if you want to be anointed with oil this morning, this would be a great opportunity uh, to do that. And so I'm just going to invite, um, you know, uh, as, as the worship begins here this morning, Mark and Cass, if you guys can be here, Jim, Dan and Neva, if you guys can kind of just be uh, over there. If you guys would mind maybe just kind of being here again um, this morning. Again, we just want to give um, Marilyn. There's Marilyn. <laughs> you could just kind of come up here, Marilyn, and just pray this morning. And again, we just want to be here again to bless you. Maybe there's just parts of the curse of the law that's kind of been stolen from you, or, and you just want to reclaim that this morning. It is yours to reclaim. If it's healing, if it's forgiveness, if it's the, you know, the joy of your salvation. Maybe you're here and you're born again, and you just have lost the joy of your salvation. God wants to restore that uh, here this morning. So uh, just as we close in worship, however God is leading you uh, this morning, if you want to be prayed over for this specific prayer, uh, pray, prayer team, I've left, let's leave the scripture, if we can, Carol, up on the board there. So if the, if the prayer people, if you need to look at that to kind of get your bearings, um, don't have to you know, pray that exactly, but try to get somewhere close to that, uh, that it's recognizable to the people you're praying for. Um, so Father, we just thank you. 
And now we just invite again the power, the presence of your Holy Spirit to come in this place. And Father, it comes not because of anything we have said or done here this morning. It's not through the, the power of, of any spoken word. It really is through the power of your word. It's the power of your Holy Spirit. The Bible says if Jesus be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. And we just lift Jesus up in this place. And I thank you, Father, that in lifting him up through worship, through prayer, through communion, through the teaching of the word as we just lift him up, God, would you just begin to draw men, women, children unto yourself. And Father, I believe, Lord, that you want to speak and you want to just impart power, purpose. You want to impart salvation, healing, forgiveness, mercy, there just are some things, God, that you want to deposit in the hearts and the lives of your people here this morning. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that your desire, God, is not born out of anything that we have done or could have done or shouldn't have done. But God, it really is born out of your desire, God, that you have chosen us. And in choosing us, God, it is your heart to want to bestow your favor, your blessings, your promises upon us. And all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, Father, we say to every blessing, every promise in Scripture, yes and amen, that you might be glorified and lifted up in this place. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.